say today, you can have that same living hope. You can be born again. Romans 8, 34 says, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. What I want to do is I want to hit some big ideas. I want to hit the original big idea we had the very first um, chapter in Luke. Uh, But let me go ahead and read the very end of this, and then we'll get into it. This is Luke 24, verses 36 through 53, and it says this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why do you uh, doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands? See my feet? That is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I love that. We're still going to get to eat in heaven without the calories, right? Praise God. All right. Give me some cookies. All right. They, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I think I would have asked for sirloin, but that's all right. This is the culture they're in. Okay. He took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with, still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name, in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing, continually in the temple, blessing God. Now, very beginning, I gave you kind of a big picture overview the very first week, and this is the big idea of the first Sunday we taught on Luke. It's this. Luke was written that we may have an unshakable confidence in the claims of Jesus and his gospel that we find written through Scripture. See, as we say all the time, this is one continuous narrative of the person and work of Jesus. And You'll hear that in this sermon today, that literally you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. So it's this one big idea that Luke wanted to write down, that we could have this unshakable confidence in the work and person of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. Then a couple weeks ago, Matt shared this idea about the resurrection. 
He got the great joy of unpacking that. He did a great job of talking about the evidence for the resurrection, some arguments that are very weak against the, uh, the resurrection, but this idea that we can stand in confidence. As much as we believe that George Washington was our first president of the United States, we can prove that Jesus rose from the grave. In fact, uh, Dr. Habermas, a guy I had at Liberty University, he has people that would used to uh, debate him on the resurrection or against the resurrection. And basically over time, they just stopped doing it because they would end up getting embarrassed because of all the mounting evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's this idea that resurrection vindicates God's redemptive plan and changes everything. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, if Christ has not been raised, your face is futile and you are still in your sins. But Christ has been raised, so we have the hope the world does not have. So understanding that. Then uh, John talked about this big idea last week. Only the love of God can open your eyes to Jesus as the one true Messiah. I love this verse in 1 Peter 1.3. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That is the power of God that we get to have hope in. My big idea today is this. As we wrap up everything, Christ is calling us to be a witness for him and to tell everyone about the power of the gospel. Think about that for a moment. God is calling us to be witnesses, okay, for him, or a witness for him, and to tell everyone about the power of the gospel. Now, I know many people think, well, I've got to be called in the ministry, and you, I've, got to, I've got to have a special gift. The Bible does not teach that, okay? The Bible says, he's speaking to his disciples, speaking to his followers before he went up to heaven, and he says, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you, okay? So this idea that we have a mandate, a mission mandate from Christ himself as a follower of Jesus, not only to forsake our own life and to follow him wholeheartedly, but our mission is to go and make disciples. We're to go and testify. We're to go and witness. We're to go and tell, okay, this idea about Jesus. That's who we are. Guys, I I know uh, sometimes you think, well, well, pastor, or, you know, your full-time ministry. And, but listen, can I tell you something? As a pastor, one of my greatest uh, difficulties is this, being around people that don't know Jesus. So I have to be intentional about going out and finding people that don't know Jesus because I'm surrounded mostly with uh, kind of shepherding the church, shepherding the people. But I remember there were times where when I was in secular jobs that I had, I haven't been a pastor my whole life, okay, I spent more than about 15 years of my working life with with not being a pastor. So I know what it's like to work with people that are atheists, agnostics, uh, people that are belligerent against the Christ or or just say, you know, it's all all relative, whatever category they fall in. I I remember having those conversations and having those difficult conversations. Uh, times where I would be praying for people and wanting them to come faith in Christ or wanting to plant those seeds. But, but this idea is that we are all called to be witnesses. Now, it's not our responsibility to save anybody. We can't do that. 
Only Christ can do that. But we're to proclaim, we're to witness, we're to, we're to be a testimony of the gospel. I think probably the greatest way we can probably do that is this idea of a changed life. This idea of love. Um, we know love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it's not boast, it's not proud, does not, not easily angered, not delight in evil, does not, but it rejoices in truth, always protects, always perseveres, love always hopes. Listen, this idea of love, think about this, this radical agape love that the world doesn't understand, has not seen modeled really well in our lives at times. If we can love with that type of love, think about the effects it can have on the people around us that are filled with bitterness and pain and hurt from their past, people that are dealing with strife and division. There's this hope that we have, this sacrificial, and this is really a picture of the Son of Man in the Gospel of Luke. He came, and as he came, they had this understanding or this thinking, even though they had the scriptures, somehow they had thought in their mind that, that this Messiah was going to come and he was going to conquer and take over the Roman government and set up the kingdom here on earth. He came in an upside down way. One, he came as a, a babe in a manger in a cave among shepherds and animals and to these little peazant people, an unmarried girl who found herself impregnated by the Holy Spirit, was born of a virgin and a, a carpenter, a blue-collar uh, father. I was just talking to Michelle about this and how, think about what it must have been like for Joseph to know he's raising the Son of God. You feel weight raising kids or have felt weight? Think about that for a moment. But he adopted, think about that, he adopted the Son of God. It was not his biological child. And he raised him, okay? He taught him the Shema. He, he raised it. He talked about God as he went along his way, as he woke up. All these things that he did. I mean, amazing. And even, even followed his earthly father so close that he became a carpenter himself, right? You know he had to teach about the idea of hard work and discipline and character. He was, he was a human being. He was a human babe, but obviously fully God and fully man. So I think when we think about that, understand it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus taught them an upside-down kingdom that it wasn't about advancing, um, climbing the self-righteous ladder or religious status. It wasn't about some type of prestige, but it's about coming as a humble servant, as laying down your life. And he went to the most brokenhearted, the diseased, the sick, the lame, the people that the society rejected, even put outside the wall of the cities. That's where he went. That's where he ministered. That's where he loved people, the people that the whole world had rejected. And that's a great example for us to understand that. I've got a few points to understand this idea that our calling is to be a witness for him and tell everyone about the power of the gospel. And the first one in, we see in verses 36 to 38, says, peace to you. First thing I want you to write down is this idea is this. Jesus is the prince of peace. Listen, we should have the peace of God in our lives. This idea of peace, there's two words um, deal with peace. One is uh, shalom. The other is irene. 
which is the Greek word for peace. It's this idea of, we always think about peace as like someone was at war and now they're not at war anymore. But the word in the Hebrew language has a much deeper meaning than that, okay? It's this idea of completeness. So if someone was at war, not only are they not at war anymore, they're actually helping each other, okay? It's this idea of a, a, a wall maybe that was completely whole at one time, but now it's broken down, okay? And now it has to be repaired, and every block has to be put back exactly where it was. And so understanding that we all were born with a, a vacuum in our lives, that we were broken, and God's putting us together. He's making us whole again. He's making us brand new. He's making us complete. And so this idea that we have the ability now to have peace with our creator, but also we can have peace with others and we can share that peace. There's something different about you because you have the peace of God. You have now been completed. You have been made right. God has made you a person of peace. This is what God is doing for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord will wipe away tears from all our faces. Aren't you, isn't that good news? Listen, this world, we're gonna have, we're gonna have times where it's gonna be heartache. And we've got that in this room, okay? Some of us don't know, maybe, Tomorrow, this week, maybe later this year, we're going to feel heartache. Isn't it good news that Jesus says he can be our Prince of Peace? I know I was sharing recently with someone about how in my early 20s, about how there was such a deep loneliness in my life. I was trying to follow God. God had rescued me. He had saved me. I, I had new believers that were friends of mine now. I was on track following God. I even sold everything I had and went to Liberty University, but there was, there was this call in my life, but then there was this deep loneliness that I struggled with. And in that, there came a point where I was, I think, about 25 years old, and God brought me to a point where if it was just me and him the rest of my life, I had to come peace with that. That was, that was rough. That was hard. It was just me and him. And that point, when that happened, God just softened my heart and I came at complete just contentment with him. No longer were striving to try to find somebody that would somehow complete me or somehow strive to find some kind of other thing that would complete me, but at a point where I just came at complete peace with him. It was just a few months later. God brought me this incredible lady. It was in humanities class at Liberty. I heard her pray in class and it captured my heart. And God blessed me with an incredible bride of 21 years. But it was that point where I just came, just me and him. And, you know, there's times in life, even if we're married or even if uh, we have kids that are gifts to us in life and uh, spouses that are kids, there's a point sometimes where God needs to bring us to a point where we just are happy and content with just him and I, right? It's this prince of peace. Peace he gives to us. That's what Christ is giving. The second thing I want you to write down is this, that Jesus gives us all the evidence needed to silence, silence the skeptics. He literally says, look, you, you, you see my hands. Look, touch them, feel them. Do spirits have this? Listen, I'm here with you. I'm even gonna eat some fish. 
with you. Spirits don't do that. So listen, we have not just a, we don't have just a blind faith. We have a, a evidence in our faith. I love guys like Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel that have written books to help us with that. Apologetics. But can I tell you something? You're never going to win somebody that way. You're probably not. It's only when the Spirit of God, as we learned last week, the love of God, opens someone's eyes. Now, I don't think it's, I think it's important to give those people that evidence. I think it's important to share those things. But most people I know have not come to faith by debate. They've come usually through brokenness. They're a point in their life that there was a problem they couldn't solve. There was a crisis they couldn't resolve. There was something in their life that caused a really, I'm not God. And, and I cannot do anything to change this brokenness. And when that happens, guess what? Those things that you said to them, the, those things you've talked to them about, maybe that book that you gave them that they've read part of it, or maybe shared that website that has things about the love of Christ or about the gospel. Guess what? That's what's going to happen. We, we have a friend that we gave a DVD to. He's very analytical. You know, we gave him this uh, DVD called The Star of Bethlehem. And he, he, he sat on his desk for weeks, right? And then finally... He watched it, and he shared with us. He says, not only did I watch it, I watched it like three times. And the question posed to him, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He's like, absolutely. There's no way around it, the evidence in that. But it was also a a soul-searching desire in him to know truth. And so I want to encourage you that Jesus gives us all the evidence to silence the skeptics. Even here, we see that they doubted. They still in disbelief. They couldn't Christ quite wrap their mind around someone they saw and now was saw dead and was now alive. It's amazing it's a miracle. In verse forty-four through forty-six, we see where he says this, and he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law." of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's only when Jesus removes the blunders that can we see him through all of Scripture. As I was preparing for um, the Men of Valor night, um, I was thinking about this difference between Adam and his failures as the first man and the second Adam, Jesus. I really want to get to talk to you guys about that tonight, but I'm in correspondence with the, um, the shooter archery guy who owns that, and they're not going to open up today, so we're going to have to punt that till next uh, Sunday. I apologize for that, um, and those who made provisions for that will have to figure out something for next week, but um, they're expecting, I guess, three to six inches today, this afternoon, so he, he's not going to open up. Amen? I heard that. Uh, thank you for coming out this morning, but... It's this idea that it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, for as by man's, um, a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. In other words, it's this idea that Adam casts a shadow of, over mankind, this darkness, this brokenness. 
But the second Adam came and fulfilled and did the will of the Father, and he cast light over mankind. So it's this picture of Jesus is all throughout Scripture. In fact, the Scripture is called the, uh, the Old Testament is this idea of the Tanakh. It's this idea of the, the word T for Torah or the law. He mentions it right here. Uh, the next word is Nenevin, which is the prophets. And then Ketavim, which is the writing. So he mentions all three of these in this. That's the completeness of the Tanakh. In other words, Jesus is in every book of the Bible. I know Jono briefly went over this last week, but I want to hit this. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In, in Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is our wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnaces. And Hosea, he is the faithful husband for whoever, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is a baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of the beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist, crying, revival thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is our restorer of God's lost heritage. And Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And Matthew, he is the king, he is king of the Jews. And Mark, he is the servant. And Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what we feel. John, he is the son of God. And Acts, he is the savior of the world. And Romans, he is the righteousness of God. And 1 Corinthians, he is the rock that followed Israel. And 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one giving victory. In Galatians, he is, he is your liberty. He sets us free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your uh, completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is your hope. In First Timothy, he is your faith. In Second Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In First Peter, he is your example. In Second Peter, he is your purity. In First John, he is your life. In Second John, he is your pattern. In Third John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is your foundation of your faith. In a revelation, he is your king coming. Praise God. Praise God. This is who we serve. We need to understand that God can open your eyes, if you're not here, to understand that Jesus is in every page of this book. One continuous story pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then... The next thing I want you to see is this in 47 through 49 is Jesus keeps his promises of giving the power to do even greater things than him. John 14, 12 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been, what I have been doing 
he will, listen, he or she will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Think about that. Jesus turned the world upside down. But because of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, you're going to do even greater things. Now I want you to think about this. Peter, who was a big talker, okay? He was always saying something and realizing he's sticking his foot in his mouth. And I can totally relate to that, okay? I can totally relate. He's like, oh, they're going to pick a fight? Oh, oh yeah, it's going to go down. I got the sword. We'll go to death, whatever. And then Jesus so kindly and patiently says, Peter, just, just, just put it away, okay? You're going to deny me tonight. Did you realize that? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Satan wants to sift you like sand, but I'm praying for you. Do you understand that Jesus intercedes for you? Do you understand that Jesus is pursuing you? He loves you. He cares for you. He is interceding for you. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer today, guess what? The Spirit of God is drawing you. He's trying to woo you into having faith. If you're a follower here and you put faith and you're born again, guess what? That same Holy Spirit is shaping you and molding you and chipping away at you and trying to cut away stuff that's in your life. It's called sanctification. We don't like it. It's painful. But God is still wooing you. That's what he's doing. So understand that God has given us the power. How does that happen? Well, look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus from a little girl, probably middle school or younger, a little servant girl. He denied Jesus. But listen, just 50 days later, he was standing in front of all those people that had crucified Jesus, that had nailed him to a cross and put a spear in his side and whipped him beyond belief. And he stood with boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power and the promise of God. That is what he can give you. It's not of your own. You just show up. You just do what God's called you to do. All they're doing is obeying the Father. See, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father. Guess what our food should be? To do the will of the Father. We're now born again. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and now we're able to do even greater things than Jesus did. We're able to proclaim the good news and see the power of God displayed when he takes an old, dark heart that was dead and makes it alive. This is what God is calling us to do. Listen, we proclaim the gospel. In other words, it's Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. I love uh, Ray Comfort. He says that um, the reason many people don't come to faith in Christ is because they don't know they're lost. But, I mean, how many lies do we have to tell to be a liar? One. Right? How many promises do we have to break to be a promise breaker? One. And the Bible says if anyone's lusted after someone, they've committed adultery. It only takes one thought. I think everybody in here, if we were to print their thoughts on, has some point done that. How about anger? The Bible says you, you get anger against your brother. Okay? You've committed murder. So in other words, we have all offended God. We all deserve death. We all deserve punishment and separation from God. But God in his great mercy sent his son Jesus to die and to make at peace with him through the blood of Jesus. In other words, when we proclaim Jesus, we proclaim repentance, 
Faith in him alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And when that about face, that 180, change direction and go to Jesus and you leave your life behind, the Bible says at that point, humility takes place and God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Will you, will you accept that grace? And then 53, 50 through 53 talks about this. When he led them out, he led them to as far as Bethany. We know that from several uh, weeks back that Bethany and Bethpage were just on the other side of Mount of Olives. You've been there. It's beautiful. The Mount of Olives is beautiful. Just on the other side is Bethany. So about a mile and a half or two miles, he led them around. I want you to write down this. <laughs> they responded to Jesus' promise. Listen, with worship, joyful obedience, and testifying of his goodness. How do I know that? It says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and with continually in the temple blessing God. That's what they did. So it's this idea that they were worshipful. They were giving God his praise. They had joyful obedience. Not uh, uh, this um, reluctant, thank you, Uh, uh, obedience, okay? My brain doesn't always connect. Uh, But it's this idea of uh, I get to, right? Not that I have to, but I get to follow Jesus. I get to obey him. I get to be a part of his work, this redeeming plan that he has for mankind. So it's this idea of that, really this idea of praise in there. Uh, it's, it's this Greek word, euagalia, which means the first part is good, and this other idea of word or logos. So it's this, this idea of a good word or good news, almost similar to euagalion. And so it's this idea that he gets to, we get to. I, I love this scene. If you've never seen this movie, it came out about three, three years ago, this coming January. It was called Risen. Highly recommend it. So it was a story about this Roman soldier who, at the end, was working for uh, the Roman Empire and was a part at the end of Jesus' crucifixion. And then, of course, after that, three days later, he, he rose again and all this upheaval that was going in, the religious leaders, and he went basically to try to shut that down. In the midst of that, he realized he saw this guy dead on the cross, and then he sees him, the resurrected Jesus. He has this moment. How can he resolve something, someone who was dead and now alive? And there's this great scene at the end where he's, He's forsaken the, the Roman government and become a follower of Jesus. And this, this guy's reading this and says, don't come and look for me. I've found the one true living God. His name is Jesus. And, and here the Roman government says, how could this happen? And the guy with him says it was, his, it was one of his guys. He was tutoring in the, the Roman uh, army. And he, and he says, only if it could be true. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Lead pastor Rick Nicely will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing His kingdom through obedience to His great commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website, spotswoodls.org, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, SpotswoodLS. Now, here's Rick with a conclusion to this week's sermon. I want to challenge you with that big question this morning. What if it's true that the Son of Man 
actually died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead and walked among the living. See, Romans 8, 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Say, today, you can have that same living hope. You can be born again. Romans 8, 34 says, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. And then John 11 says this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Have you put everything in it? Have you said, I'm all in? See, that's what Jesus is calling. He isn't calling us to put in any. Oh, I got, okay, I got this, but I got this over here. This is my stash. I'll put that in. No, I used to play poker, okay? So, but it's, it's this idea of go all in. Go all in. I'm, I'm cashing in my chips. I'm putting them all in. Have you done that with Jesus? Because if he is who he said he was, that's the, only, that's the only choice we have is to go all in. We stand. There are going to be people up here that want to pray with you, to encourage you, to challenge you, uh, to encourage you. Whatever we can do, we want to be here for you. And don't forget those names you wrote down on those slips of paper. If you bring, bring them up or put them in an offering plate, we want to pray for those people. But do you know him? Have you believed in Jesus, the risen Savior? Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time together today. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray this morning, God, that we wouldn't just come and listen to a sermon and hear your word and go away. And God, let the enemy steal it from us. But God, I pray it'll take root this morning, go deep down, produce fruit in our lives that will be eternal. God, do what only you can do. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.